Hello and welcome to another episode of the Regenerative Mindset with your hosts, Rye Seekins. And me, Miles Adams. Today, we're going over my introduction to regenerative agriculture, regenerative practices, a video series called Carbon Cowboys. This video series goes over 10 different ranching families and their transition from traditional ranching to regenerative ranching, which we'll talk about here. And then um, we're also want to teach you about all the amazing benefits that comes from this that are, um, and, uh, briefly, that's healthier cattle, healthier land, healthier water systems, more biodiversity, more, uh, more animal and plant diversity, drought resilience, and flood resilience. Miles, take it away. All right. Yeah, there's tons of benefit to this, but it kind of starts off with talking about kind of the problems that come with the traditional grazing and ranching methods. Um, and here we're talking about just kind of open pasture grazing um, along with the forage and how you kind of treat your cattle. So traditionally, you would have just an open, an open pasture where the cattle are just allowed to roam free on this kind of wide expanse of land. And like, while this, in my mind, I didn't see any problems with this. I thought, like, that's great. Pasture raised cattle. Um, right, let them roam free. Yeah, they're not on a feedlot. Um, it definitely is better than feedlots, but it's not the best thing that you can be doing. Because when, that, when the cattle are given this much freedom and this much open space, um, they tend to kind of pick and choose what to graze. Um, they definitely have, like, favorites, favorite plants. Um, and grasses to eat, and so they'll kind of target these ones and only graze those for as long as they can. Um, and what this does is it kind of weakens the root systems of those like really good plants that you want, and so year after year you get less of the good plants and kind of less biodiversity with more plants that you not don't necessarily want but aren't maybe the best for the cattle. Um, another thing that strikes me on this subject is like <clears throat> it originally occurred to me that keeping cattle on this like big open ranch is the most like natural way to do it um, but when they're all open and free and far apart from each other <clears throat> that's actually not a, a natural condition um, big old herbivores that move in herds like that are usually much denser much closer together in natural history because they were under the threat of predators so they didn't want to have one that was way far away from the pack and they wanted to like continue moving together and that's what this new system reproduces yeah um so kind of looking back at the historical context the the natural livestock that we had here was was buffalo um and like you said they they stick together move as a group graze a field move on and might not come back for two years um so basically what the goal is is to to try to replicate this kind of natural grazing method through the creation of paddocks um and by splitting up your pastures into smaller areas where you can put a higher density of cattle um and kind of kind of what they were saying in in the carbon cowboys is with with kind of the higher herd density there's almost more of a sense of competition between the cows. Um, they feel like I have to eat this grass that's in front of me right now, no matter what it is, or else somebody else will. 
it kind of incentivizes just kind of a more uniform grazing of the small paddock. So you don't have some things that aren't eaten and it, some things that are. Um, but also it distributes their poop and urine a lot more evenly. Um, where I was listening to this guy speak and he said with paddock grazing, you can get a equal amount of like poop and urine per square yard on your pasture versus with the open pastures. Um, it's really pretty like together um, in certain spots and that much poop and urine can actually be toxic for the soil versus beneficial. Um, yeah. Um, Just to drive home what this, what the process is with the rotational, so it's called a rotational paddock grazing or adaptive paddock grazing. And that's like, you divide your like 100 acre big ranch into um, a bunch of one acre little squares. And you move the cattle through those squares. And these farmers put up temporary electric fencing pop in a post and run electric fencing around those paddocks and like move them between there every day. So let's just say they, they left them in each one for a day. And that's a little bit of a simplification, but we'll say that. So they go around and they end up going through those hundred acres. And just as Miles was saying it, um, all the, all their fertilizer that the animals drop into the soil is equally distributed. Uh, the animals don't only eat their favorites. They eat their a little bit less favorites too. Um, and they don't only eat the grass; they also like tumble it down with their fists, with their uh, with their hoofs, and uh, their weight on the soil is basically like plants, seeds, steps on seeds, and those put them just a little bit into the ground. And uh, but the real magic occurs in that time when the the land isn't being grazed. So a hundred days later, like so on that hundred acre pasture, when they go through each acre, each each paddock is only grazed one day and then there's a hundred days of rest time and in those hundred days of rest time the plants grow like five feet tall because they've been fertilized by those animals and um, mm -hmm. they're full of super healthy and super diverse plants and um, that has so many run-on effects like when those plants are five feet tall when those grasses are allowed to get big and those uh, those wild legumes and wildflowers are allowed to get big then it provides habitat for insects, which provides food for small rodents, which provides foods for, uh, for predator birds. Uh, one of the really amazing stories in the Carbon Cowboys, somebody in, uh, somebody in Georgia talks about his conversion to regenerative ranching. There used to be uh, nothing but cows and like a couple basic grasses in this area. But, um, but after a couple of years of applying regenerative practices, he found a bald eagle couple moved in and like 10 years in, he has the biggest bald eagle sanctuary in all of Georgia. And it's again, that process where those plants get big and that allows insects to come in, allows rodents to come in. And then now there's this need for these predatory birds and they find a home. And it's just like, it's so amazing. This knock on cycle of life just created by letting life do its thing. Mm -hmm. It's just trying to, as much as you can trying to imitate a natural ecosystem and very quickly after that it actually becomes a natural ecosystem um yeah um and on top of on top of all that good stuff they were talking about how their cows were more healthy as well um because with kind of a more diverse diet they're getting more nutrients um and kind of 
a wider array of things that are good for them rather than just their favorite plant. Um, and this one guy from, from Canada was talking about on his, on his 800 head ranch last year, he only had to like treat like 20 cows. Um, versus he used to walk around with a crossbow and three big bottles of medicine. Um, so on top of all this amazing ecological benefits, you're actually you're saving money on fertilizer. You're saving money on treatment for your cows. Um, you don't have to irrigate your fields because they can hold so much more water. Um, there are a lot of like business benefits along to the ecological benefits of paddock grazing. Those are all so huge. I want to go in a little bit more depth with uh, how the land can hold more water. Mm -hmm. yeah. As kind of this process we've been talking about for a long time, when you let, um, when you let plants grow and that, those roots distribute themselves throughout the soil. Um, and there's actually something really kind of cool that happens when grazers come eat grasses and plants like that. Um, well, when the grass, when the top half of the grass gets eaten, the grass will be like, whoa, I have way too many roots to support just this small amount of grass. I don't want to be maintaining all these roots when I don't have enough, like, chlorophyll, enough, like, solar, enough um, photosynthesis, yeah, to maintain them. Um, mm -hmm. So, they kind of, they, like, cut themselves off. They're like, okay, I'm not going to use these roots anymore. So, then, um, when those roots aren't being maintained, now the fungal networks come move in. And they start degrading those roots, creating nitrogen, and um, allowing areas for water to filtrate through the soil. And this is a huge difference from that those continuously grazed fields where there's barren land, where there's no roots, where those plants are never allowed to get big because the cattle will eat them before they get big. They never get roots that go way down. And that, that huge benefit of having roots that are able to go all the way down um, enables water to soak into the fields and it's such a huge difference like they tell oh. stories yeah you got this oh this guy from uh south dakota he was talking about um he started this paddock grazing almost 26 years ago um and he was talking when he started his his pastures were able to take i think a half inch of rain per hour um by the time carbon cowboys were was that made, is like they could soak in right that's like yeah yeah so cool that's um actually into the ground versus like water running off and kind of going into the stream going downstream and then going into the ocean um so cool. this is this is water in the ground um where it's supposed to be and so by the time carbon cowboys was made he he got up to i think just about eight inches of rain per hour can be actually soaked into the ground um, and I just recently, the other day, I heard him speak at this, this summit and his statistic at the summit was, I think, 13 inches. Um, wow. It's like 26 times as many. of heavy rain. That's, that's over a long period of time, of course, but it's still an incredibly drastic increase. I honestly didn't know that land could take in 13 inches of rain in an hour. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was possible. Like, that's a lot of water. Um, and, yeah, and they show photos. Ranches after big rains. His is totally fine. Other ones have just these giant pools in the middle of their pasture. 
um it's just standing there where it's like big runoff ruts and uh, huge amounts of erosion like dirt in the soil yeah Mm -hmm. all that stuff just goes downstream and when it goes downstream it causes so many problems it's like yeah you know even though this isn't in like an industrial farm there's not those kind of fertilizers there's still like animal runoff you know like um animal food's really good for the soil but we don't want it in like human water systems um and when you got those big floods that take that run off those big fields they'll take all that animal fertilizer and put it into the downstream effects which can affect like cities and water bodies downstream um Mm -hmm. also when that water's allowed to escape and not doesn't soak in then it creates floods for people and that's a huge danger huge problem Mm -hmm. and when you are using those industrial fertilizers you see the algae blooms at the uh the mouth of the river where it meets the ocean and then those dead zones um kind of like the the mississippi river there's a giant dead zone from all the algae blooming because of the the fertilizer taking up all the oxygen in the water and then nothing's able to survive able to survive yeah um so water saturation is good for a multiple multiple reasons um it can make your field way more drought resistant. Um, he was talking, they planted their, their cocktail mix of, of forage. Um, and they only got like maybe a 10th of an inch of rain. And it was still like the five feet high, um, because there's so much water stored in the ground. Um, yeah, they're not as dependent on rains. And then that's what we're yeah. talking. There's the drought resilience. And mm-hmm. Like even when it doesn't rain for a long time, the the land has soaked that up like a sponge, and it's able to give that back up to new plants and able for like big trees to be able to tap into that. And yeah. um, that's specifically opposed to that land that can only infiltrate half an inch. That's um, it, it rains yesterday, it's dry today. You know, the sun can like bake it out that fast. But when the soil has those many, that, all those little holes and all those healthy fungal networks from those old roots, um, then the water is able to soak all the way in. And then it can be like moist, moist for months after a rain. Yeah. Um, anything else in this video? Um, how about, how about some of the like human impacts or the, the business impacts? Oh yeah, um, just pure herd side. You can you can almost double your your heads of cows um, that you would have on your pasture in the paddocks. Um, you can have more cows on less land, and as long as you cycle it right and you give it enough time to recover, the land can fully provide for that number of cows. Um, this is so that yeah, that's more profit. Um, and then you're not paying for fertilizers, you're not paying for herbicides, um, all that stuff. You're fertilizing your land for a profit, basically. So big, so big. That's literally like your land produces twice as much food as it would otherwise. It's able to fill, feed twice as many cattle as it would otherwise. That's huge, yeah. That's double your profits. Uh-huh. And even more so because you're minimizing expenses. Um, trying to think of anything else. 
Uh, I really um, liked one of their points. You kind of touched on it about um, the medicine, like the cattle needing less yeah. medicine. Mm-hmm. Somebody said they reduced their, their medical bills to one-tenth of what they used to be, where they're not using antibiotics or growth hormones for the cattle anymore. And, um, and it's for all those reasons that you talked about. And I really liked how he explained it about the, uh, when the cattle are walking into that brand new paddock that's been, it's been growing for a hundred days and has these like big five feet tall, he's an alpha alpha and all these cool grasses. Um, the cattle is able to self-medicate. It has this whole like buffet, this giant salad bar. And that, and that's like the cattle, cattle know what plants are good for them and based on how they're feeling, you know, so they can go out there and yeah. Like I need some of this, I need some of this, and um, that's how they're so yeah. much healthier. And I, I think that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, they were talking about traditionally, they would kind of monoculture even the forage, um, just because it's easier to manage. Right. Uh, so the for can you explain what the forage is for everyone? Let go. Oh, yeah, the forage is just um, everything that the cattle eat. So all the plants. Even some of them may be considered weeds. Um, they talk about legumes. I personally don't don't know what a legume is, <laughs> but um, it's yeah. The forage is just just what the cattle eat, the plants eat on pasture. Um, and so tr- traditionally, um, they were talking about it's easier to monoculture. Um, so just plant alfalfa. Um, so if you see anything else you know that's bad, and you know to spray it. Um, but once you kind of let go of this management idea that you have to manage what, what's growing and that what your cow is eating, they realize that it's so much less work to just let it grow freely um, and then just have an, a biodiverse option of foods. Um, and that's what gives the cattle their balanced diet, which causes them to need less medication and antibiotics. Um, yeah, and on top of that, it sequesters more carbon because it's growing so rapidly. It gets chopped down um, in kind of a stressful environment for the plant. And then it thinks, oh, I need to regrow really quick. Let me do all of this photosynthetic, photosynthetic stuff. Um, and grow really fast and that's what sequesters the most carbon mm. so it's all connected that's that's the one thing i've kind of been able to take away from from every every video i've watched is that there's this crazy complicated but not that complicated but just intricate intricate network of connections between kind of everything that that happens naturally um, huge echoing it's mm-hmm. like such a complex interweaving system of cycles mm-hmm. and um i said it's absolutely or like i totally agree with you that that's present in everything that we've watched but like how making a little difference in the water system or making a little difference in how you treat your cattle can have such huge runoff benefits for all of nature and i think mm-hmm. we get there from um from analyzing all those connections and trying to figure out what would help, you know, kind of noticing nature cycles and be like, okay, yeah, we can help it this way. Um, yeah. I, I think you absolute, touched on You go. Oh, I think you touched on something really important and that's just to pay attention to nature. Um, mm. That's something that, that this guy talked about in, in this summit. He was like, 
nature is always trying to tell us something. Um, it's just whether we choose to listen or view it as a problem. Um, he just he talked about weeds in his actual his crop pastures, um, which he also integrates livestock in, but it's not the primary grazing cat pastures. Um, he was talking if I see a dandelion um, like on the ground, some people would think, oh, that's a weed. I got to go spray it. Um, he sees, oh, my, my soil might be lacking calcium, which is what the dandelion puts back into it. Um, each thing has a specific job and is there for a reason almost. Um, whether we choose to accept that reason or not, um, even if it doesn't totally work with our exact plan. Um, so, yeah, he sees this grass. That's a really dense root grass. The soil might be a little too compact, um, and the grass is there to kind of break it up. Um, and kind of each thing is telling you something. Um, if you're only ready to pay attention. Yeah, you just like got to listen. Wow, that's uh-huh. so cool. I hadn't heard it expressed that way that like you pay attention to what the soil's producing and that tells you like what it needs or, or what it has a lot of. That's so cool. I think that was a really good representation of the regenerative mindset. This this kind of accepting wildness that we've kind of been touching on. Mm. Mm. Um, and that it's it's all important. It's all meaningful. Um, yeah. One last thing I want to get to on the carbon cowboys is like how um how their transition to this regenerative paddock grazing, this adaptive paddock grazing systems um affected their personal lives. Yeah. Um and so there's a couple a couple like directions we can take this. It's kind of like their social life, like a lot of these people are traditional ranchers turning into um non-traditional ranchers and it's kind of something that like in their social fears are like whoa dude what are you doing you know i like and all these people have had their um ranches passed down to their families for like three generations it's kind of like dad i really think this is a good idea does like we've always done it this way this is a way to do it you know um i don't know let's go for that social aspect first what what else comes to mind for you um Things that come to mind, um, just what you were saying, it's it's passed down down through generations. It's this this is not an easy decision, um, because it it means so much to you personally. Um, but I think what we're what they're seeing is that this is going to allow them to pass their ranch down for generations to come, because they're reinvigorating their soil, um, reinvigorating their pastures. And making it something that can can actually be sustainable. Um, another thing that that comes to mind is the really cool guy from Canada with the jorts, um, <laughs> snazzy team shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was talking. It might look like a lot of work, the paddock grazing, because you've got to move the cows, um, and kind of kind of be finicky with it a little bit. Um, but once you get it down, he can lay a quarter mile of um, electric fence in 18 minutes. Um, 
and he has much more free time than he did before having to go all over his property looking at different cows that are all spread out um, and kind of having to to watch them very closely um, for medicine for for multiple reasons but um, he actually has more free time um, than he did in the past so cool that's so cool um and that that's more free time for that's more free time for family more free time for like taking care of the business marketing and things like that um yeah huge impact kind of next to that like let's go kind of for that like personal business side i I heard a lot of the ranchers talking about um there's there's a growing market for regeneratively regeneratively raised meats and that's a uh, that's a big plus for them when they can sell like we're taking care of the world this way when we're... oh i'm sorry i think i cut out um, oh you're all good all good um there's just a big boost to business too when they can be saying that they're growing it mm-hmm. through regenerative methods oh yeah um and like I f- you might be able to even charge a little bit more like you know organic is is more expensive than than non-organic um and not only are you is your business method more efficient but you're also just getting more revenue from your product with a higher amount of product yes yeah um and I kind of want to bring it to a question for us, you know, kind of traditional like urban people. Um, how are like how our consumption habits would <clears throat> affect all of that? Um, and I kind of hesitate with the word like responsibility, but I, I think we should remember that we can make a big difference by like paying attention to where we're buying our food from and mm-hmm. um, supporting the supporting the efforts we really believe in. Yeah. I mean, as the buyer, we have the power. Um, we have the money that, that people want, and it's just our decision where to put it. Um, and yeah, I've been thinking a lot how you kind of get out what you put in. Um, and I think buying sustainably and regeneratively is not only better for yourself, I think it's, it's more nutritious. It's, mm-hmm. You're treating your body better. Um, but it, like you said, it's incentivizing these regenerative practices. It's rewarding these. It's rewarding people for taking care of the earth. Um, and I would like, on a bigger federal level, I would love to see some of these these big industrial agriculture grants go to go to regenerative farmers um, versus Absolutely. Like single monoculture cash crops that get paid before they even harvest there's so so much to be said here mm-hmm. um like we could do a whole episode just on it but um uh, my like a, a kind of cursory understanding is that like the government puts out um they have like a farm bill every year and in that farm bill um since the uh since the new deal has been a, a federal guarantee for basic crops um including corn so like a, a subsidy that says like um, just for planting this corn, we're going to give you like 30, I don't know the number, but we'll give you like a dollar a bushel. 
Uh, so it's like mm-hmm. for every big section of corn, we'll give you a dollar just for planting it. Like you don't even, it doesn't even have to work. You know, if there's a big drought that hits or a big dust storm that hits, um, it's okay. We'll guarantee it. It's like a federal guarantee for farmers. And yeah, um, it sounds nice. And it's like first idea, but mm-hmm. it ends up being, um, destructive now that we know so much about how, um, how monoculture, like monocropping form corn can be so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't incentivize you to, like, I do like the idea of kind of almost an insurance for, like, drought or, or like, natural disasters. Like, these are things you can control. But at the same time, there's no incentive for you to make your land better, um, for you to kind of improve anything if you're getting paid bef- before you even harvest. Um, at that point, it's not about the harvest, really. Yeah, and it's no. like not about your land either. No. One of the really interesting um, kind of knockoff negative effects of this corn subsidy that I learned about from um, The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Recommend that book for sure. Um, he talked about, so there are these things, confined feeding operations called CAFOs or like factory farms. And that's um, where a bunch of cows are put in these, uh, put in these big like just dirt patches with um, troughs full of uh, manufactured feed, basically, and most of it is made of corn. And um, the crazy thing is, is that it costs more for um, it costs more for a farmer to produce corn than it does to produce like hay or alfalfa and stuff like that grasses that are actually healthier for the cattle than the corn. But because of the government subsidy, it corn costs way less on the marketplace than it does as a cost to produce it. Um, And that's even less than those hays do. So instead of a farmer keeping cattle on their land and raising, um, raising hay for them, they instead, instead the cattle are kept at these confined feeding operations and fed corn that's more expensive to grow than the hay. And when we're talking more expensive to grow than the hay, that means it takes like more time, more water, more energy. So it's like more intensive for the earth too. Um, and the cattle are less good at eating corn. Um, it creates all kinds of problems for their digestion. You know, they're meant to eat grasses, not grains. Um, now you gotta do all these growth hormones and inject all this stuff into the cows to try to make up for it. Um, so- yeah <laughs> and that's just it's it's just a cycle it just kind of continues to go downward and we can do it so much better um yeah by all these processes described this is like it's such a hopeful thing for me to be like learning about talking about discussing these things i like these regenerative practices yeah um no it oh. I think with with coronavirus and everything, um, I was kind of losing a little bit of hope for the future. Um, And that was just kind of there, just going about my everyday life. But when everything stopped, um, you kind of have a second to step back and look at it. Um, And I was like, dang, this looks looks pretty bleak. Um, Things are not looking too good. Um, and just regenerative farming kind of in general has, has kind of instilled a, a new hope that there are things that we can do to not 
only slow slow it down but just reverse yes sir yeah um i'm hoping next week's episode we can do it on the uh the soil conservation summit you talked about um yeah you, you and i talked about off air uh, maybe you can uh, give everybody a brief teaser of um what we might talk about next week oh yeah um for sure so basically um the last few days there was a summit called the soil region summit um hope for the future um which is basically had a bunch of kind of big names in the regenerative community um come and, and speak virtually um and it was it was really great there were some truly inspiring speakers um from all over the world um so we're, we're not just talking america here um we're talking kind of a global effort um and yeah it was that was great um i really hope the the replays stay up and we can kind of get something situated for you guys because they had a lot of really really good things to say um that like really really impacted the way i think about it even now like um yeah some really good speakers hell yeah to me it's so uh, it's so inspiring to see that like you know the movement's coming around this is the first time this soil region summit has happened and it's like um you know the, the beat of the drums is getting louder for this movement and that's a uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it with you and see that it's gaining momentum in so many other spaces too yeah no it's it's definitely growing really fast which is super exciting um oh. any closing notes for everybody miles um not not to come to mind straight off straight off the dome um thank you for listening <laughs> yeah yeah um go watch carbon cowboys it's it's a really good short youtube docuseries um, um links in the podcast description as always mm-hmm. all righty sweet peace everybody yeah. take care okay have a good one yeah talk to you later yeah, yeah. thank you